Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. Registration is now open for our 2023 I Believe Survivorship Seminar. This year, we'll be coming to you live and virtually from Seattle, Washington. Join Dr. Andrew Stacy, top physicians and experts for two days of workshops and educational sessions on living with ocular melanoma. We'll explore the town, of course. I hear there is a dinner cruise planned for Friday night. Meet new omis and check in with good friends. And at the end of the weekend, you can plan to end the week on a high note with cocktails and dinner. For those planning to attend in person, we hope to see you at the welcome reception the evening of September 7th, so make sure to plan your travel accordingly. Make sure to reserve your hotel room at the link provided at the time of registration, or you can book at your nearby favorite hotel. If you're unable to attend in in person during registration, simply select the virtual attendance option. If you do plan to attend in person or online, make sure to register using the link in the show notes of each podcast episode or head to www.acureinsight.org slash education dash events. After you register, be sure to finalize your travel plans and reserve your room for the hotel nearby. Please email contact at acureinsight.org with any registration questions. Share the news with your fellow Omis, guys. We can't wait to finally see you in Seattle this year. Hamid and Dr. Carvajal are going to chat a little bit about Replimune, which is a phase one trial, I believe, in the States. Um, Dr. Hamid has some slides as well, so I'm going to let them go ahead. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to not only come and talk about what is going on with ocular melanoma these days as we're making great strides, but the ability to just sit with a uh, bunch of colleagues and friends who I have a huge amount of respect for, specifically Dr. Carvajal. Uh, Richard and I have been doing this for a long time, as you can see by the grays, but I think it's uh, important to note that uh, when we first met, we were just trying to figure out what to do with melanoma itself. And all of those breakthroughs are leading towards uh, greater success in ocular melanoma. We'll start a little bit of talking about uh, the replimune drugs, but I think it's important to note that these are uh, relatable to any type of immune therapies. You just have to find the right way to get them to melanoma and the right way to get response. These are my contacts. Please feel free to uh, contact me directly if you need all that. And I would say that uh, is help with ocular melanoma, Angel's Clinic here. So a necessary plug for him, but you can reach out to him directly also on the West Coast. We've made huge strides in approval of a drug for metastatic melanoma in Tavantifus, but we're now looking at how to get directly into the tumors and how to increase the uh, efforts that we've had. Uh, Replimune drugs are tumor-directed oncolytic immunotherapy, and this is how they work. They are viruses. Uh, This is a herpes simplex virus that's modified to express a 
protein and immune stimulating proteins. So these are injected directly to the tumor. Some of you will remember that this is how TVEC or telemagine lehepravec was uh, made, uh, but the payloads are different in these drugs. And what they do is when injected, they will directly go into only the tumor tissue and they will spare normal tissue. Uh, and then this uh, host antiviral response will allow virus replication. Uh, those viruses, I, I always say, are like uh, uh, rock stars that go into a hotel room. They break everything apart and they destroy, they destroy the cells. The other things they do in those cells is they replicate. So there are more of these viruses. <clears throat> so the, the progeny is released. They can cause local inflammation. They can then traffic into other cells, but also this local inflammation can cause T cells to come in and cause a strong, durable, systemic anti-tumor immune response. So it can work directly in the injected tumor and also into distant tumors. One of the areas where we've tried and wanted to really be successful is injecting directly into the liver. As you've heard from Dr. Katz, the problems have been that it's hard to get to the liver. Those liver tumors are uh, harder to get an immune response. And as we have published and presented, uh, pound for pound, stage for stage, if you have the same amount of tumor and in a patient, if those patients have liver metastases, their outcomes are worse. So working together to destroy the liver metastases and to create a new response is important. Going to and be coming up, this was the data presented. Just to say that you can see here, there's a lot of effort has been gone into the, this, this drug and similar drugs. This is not supposed to be a, a rep for replimune. It is for the whole idea of uh, oncolytic or directly injected therapeutics to be in ocular melanoma whether it's injected with a catheter, like Dr. Katz said, injected with a needle, uh, whether it's an oncolytic virus or other. But the way that it, these, uh, these drugs, this uh, oncolytic therapy has been modified is initially RP1 is just the virus itself with these modifications. Most importantly, the insertion of a protein that improves direct tumor killing and increases immunogenic cell death, which is just a lot to say that in, improves the way that these viruses destroy the cells and bring in T cells. Uh, and as we move up, uh, there are payloads that can be put in to these, uh, into these viruses that when they are uh, replicating, these payloads can then be expressed. So important to get in RP2 that the addition is just an anti-CTLA-4 antibody and a lot of you are familiar with that anti-CTLA-4 antibodies are like ipilimumab, which is Eurovoid, uh, or tremelimumab, and they have shown benefit even in ocular melanoma. So why would we want to put it directly into uh, a virus or get it directly in, into an area? One, you can ensure that the drug is where the T cells are and where the tumor is. And number two, one that's not been focused on a lot. How can we get rid of these viruses when you can take antivirus and medications? So 
let's say you give this drug and a patient has a side effect of, a, of an anti-CTLA-4 antibody. By giving an antiviral, you can cause those cells to die and control the toxicity. And there is upcoming data with RP3, which adds also CD40 ligand, 41BB ligand. These are other checkpoint inhibitors. These are other drugs that help to either stimulate or remove the inhibition of the T cell by the tumor. There was lots of data presented here, um, but uh, I'll focus on the fact that in a handful of patients, uh, there was a response, a 30% response rate, and, and these were all patients who had failed anti-PD-1 therapy. So when you think about how we're treating ocular melanoma these days, it's usually with a combination of nivolumab, vitalimumab, or a nivolumab or pembrolizumab and another drug. This is in, data, in patients who have failed that or their disease has grown. Now we're showing that there are drugs that can help restore that immune uh, sensitivity and response. <clears throat> and these patients were either treated with monotherapy or a combination with an anti-PD-1, uh, which could have been, <clears throat> which was nivolumab, sorry. Oh, it's always important to talk to physicians and to patients and colleagues with pictures, okay? The pictures really are indicative of the benefit we have. And there's a lot to see here. You can see that this is in a perspective. So in screening three months, six months, the red circles are areas where there was tumor and it was directly injected into the tumor. So we are, uh, unlike some of the initial experiences with oncolytics where uh, in skin melanoma, we injected under the arm in a lymph node or in the skin, this has shown the ability not, not only to be injected directly into the liver, but to be injected directly into the liver multiple times and to show response in a directly injected tumor, but also in other areas that were not injected. So this is how those <clears throat> immune system uh, to go distant areas, whether it be in the liver, lung, or, or so. I think that's the power in this one. The same here uh, in these pac this patient who was injected directly into a tumor into the left eye. As you can see, uh, the CT scan shows after injection shrinkage and the uh, picture of the uh, above the orbit of the eye shows a response, but not only response in the local area where some of these direct injectable therapies have failed is that they have failed to go into a distant area. And as you can see to the on the right side, that this uh, therapy directly injected into the eye area has shown that it traveled and caused response in a patient who had bony uh, metastases, so tumor in the bone, and has gotten what we wanted, a complete response on PET scan. To be noted also, this patient saw prior of Devo. Again, you can see the same here. Uh, so just want to show, and this is a patient who got not only RP2 and Abdevo, but also Abdevo or Nivolumab. Uh, what about <clears throat> safety? Well, I don't want to get onto something that can cause significant immune toxicity, hospitalizations, etc. What we saw here, really low grade, which means not very morbid and very manageable toxicities are 
of low blood pressure, chills, uh, fever, rash, etc. And there was only one significant side effect, which was low blood pressure and nothing that was hospitalizationable. Um, so, you know, these drugs and this drug good tolerability in patients with liver metastases and also the ability to be re-injected multiple times to improve the response. And that's how, where this is. Now, Dr. Carvajal will tell you when I talk about melanoma, I always tell you that this is melanoma is the standard for which we educate our friends and colleagues in other solid tumors. So various types of tumors have responded into uh, with this drug with direct injection. So hopefully the breakthroughs we make now in ocular melanoma can help uh, the, our patients with colorectal cancer, with uh, gallbladder cancer, any other cancer that can go to the liver and immunotherapy is uh, valuable. So in conclusion, I have I've shown you not just the promising for our patients received what are standards, which are very tolerable, and it works in what we call really a cold tumor, tumors that are not immunogenic themselves, like ocular melanoma. And I look forward to a bigger study, which is upcoming in ocular melanoma, and also the, the data with RP3, adding more payloads into this therapy. So with that, what I would like to do is now go back and bring in Dr. Carvajal and have a good discussion about, you know, your thoughts and we're in this phase space, which are early drug developmental. Yeah, Omid, I mean, the, the, the data that you and, and Dr. Katz have presented is, is so phenomenal. Because again, yeah, Dr. Hamid and I go, go back a long ways and have been doing these trials for a long time. And he probably remembers like I do when we used to put people on these phase one clinical trials, which is, you know, these are trials where we're testing things for the first time in people or testing these new combination of treatments for the first time in people. Um, and even though we offered those with therapeutic intent, right? We said, look, you know, Mr. Mrs. So-and-so, um, you know, we, we, we think this is something that, that, that might help, but we're not sure. In reality, you know, back in 2000, 2005, even the likelihood of really helping our patients was under 5%. And now you're seeing this data from Dr. Katz, right? First time we're injecting this SD-101 drug into the liver and combining that with checkpoint blockade or the data from Dr. Hamid, the replamine data where we're injecting tumor with this virus and we're seeing these amazing responses, a response rate, the likelihood of major shrinkage of 30% in this disease where we used to be very happy with a response rate of five or 10% is, it's, it's remarkable. And so, you know, for the patients, the advocates, the yep. people who are listening, I, I think it, you know, we're, we're not doing good enough. We have a lot to do, but God, there's some really nice progress being made. What I find real, uh, what I find extremely uh, positive here is it's not just that we have one or two drugs, we have a multitude of tri uh, trials and drugs. So when we were starting out in phase one, we would go look at it for something that would just have a modicum of hope in uveal melanoma. Now, 
you've, you've listened to two drugs, but Dr. Uh, Moser and Dr. McKean are going to give you 12 more drugs. And I could think off the top of my head, you know, uh, where drug development has come in ocular melanoma. Number one, we have drugs that have shown benefit. If you look at Tebentifus, it's shown benefit. But not only have we, we haven't stopped there, we now have a next generation drug that's similar to that, which targets praying, which is, which is the same type of immune antibody, targets another thing on ocular melanoma, and it's showing activity. And we're taking those drugs and we're putting them together. So and these drugs that you're seeing here can, can be combined, uh, like we combine them with nivolumab. And also the paradigms that are coming out in skin melanoma, what we call cutaneous melanoma, are now being utilized in uh, uveal melanoma also, which is neoadjuvant. Well, what can we do before we take uh, that ocular melanoma out to stimulate immune response? Adjuvant. What can we do to decrease the risks of recurrence? And all of these drugs will step in and help. Yeah. So I, I would caution. So I, I I do think that we're we're definitely in a new era of you know promise for for this disease. Um, you know, one thing I always like to talk about is you know how are we defining benefit with these, right? So the things that you know Dr. Mead was talking about is response rate. We're seeing these great response rates. We're shrinking tumor in uveal melanoma, which is fantastic, right? And with Dr. Katz, he was showing those those you know swimmers plots. People really doing well for a long long period of time. Um, and both of those are fantastic, um, but the, all of those are what we call um, kind of surrogates, I guess, for what we ultimately want to do, which is help people live longer and ultimately cure disease, right? And so what we're seeing are, are really promising signals of activity, but we definitely have more to do, right? We can't just look at this replimune data and say, wow, this is it. This is, I think this is really promising, but we definitely have to investigate it further. Um, and and we need we need the help of everyone on the call. We need the help of the patients, the family members, and advocates because um, you know we need people to go on these promising trials really to figure out is this really as good as we think it is. Yeah, I would agree with you, and I would say that in ocular melanoma, despite these breakthroughs, we are still at a place where the for the majority of patients, the optimal first line therapy should be consideration for clinical trial. Um, and the definitely second line and further, you should be utilizing the physicians who are, have expertise as your caregivers, your collaborators with your local oncologists in order to find these, these trials and to benefit. And I think it's on us to make sure that, you know, there's, you know, there's access for these trials throughout. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are traveling for these trials, which is fan which is amazing. I mean, the things that um, our patients put up with, the travel they do, all these biopsies and procedures they put up with, it's, it's really amazing. Um, but God, I would love to make it easier <laughs> for them. I'd love, you know, you know, broader access. Um, and, and that's on us. And, and we are thinking about that. Agreed. It's it's not just uh, it, it's not just hard to get into the to find these trials. It's hard to get these trials up and running. If you look at the data and what Dr. Katz has presented, and some of the data that comes from Delcath 
and our colleagues who are doing the immunoembolizations. These are trials that require multiple different physicians with specialties, uh, including interventional radiologists. They require significant budgeting. They require significant hospital resource. Um, that, as a uh, researcher, that makes me feel uncomfortable because it's a lot of work. But as for a patient, it should make you feel uh, supported in a major way and would make you want to look for these trials and these options because I, I just find it so much so much deja vu in what we were we were saying to our patients with uh, skin melanomas that find the trials number one find the trials number two we're making huge breakthroughs number three these breakthroughs are happening in rapid fashion at the speed of light and number four we are changing your survival through these phase one trials, period. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Now, I, I think, you know, what was really important, I know Dr. Katz went through all of these, a lot of graphs and a lot of figures, which are, and, and he described it very, very well, it's complicated. Um, but, but I guess the point is when we ask you to do these things, when we ask you to do these multiple biopsies and spend all day in our infusion chair and draw these blood tests, it's really to figure out um, you know, are things working? Is, is the treatment doing what we expect it to do, right? Um, is, it, is it working? If it's not working, why is it not working? Um, and that's sort of the information that we're trying to get from these trials, right? We spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to design these trials smartly, right? So we, we learn as much as possible with the, the fewest number of people we have to put on the trials, um, right? So we can really rapidly figure out which ones are promising enough to move forward, which ones maybe should we just say, no, this, this is not, this is not going to be it. Um, or if we have to pivot, right? If this kind of works, but we have to add another drug to it. Um, and, and that's kind of the thought process as we're designing and conducting these trials that we go through. Right. And for, and for me, I would say, I think, Rich, you, you can remember that there are some patients who have these phenomenal responses and benefits. And we now have the tools to, to understand why we have the circulating tumor DNA, we have the next generation sequencing of those patients, we have the predictive markers in the tumor and the tumor microenvironment. And you know, ultimately, why something works in this person, uh, can, we can use to then have a specific cassettes for each patient. Well, you're so much like this patient, you need to get this. You're so much like this patient, you need to get that. Uh, so all the people that work behind the scenes and uh, for this, these predictive markers and these correlates of response are important. And it, we shouldn't you know, leave this meeting without saying that uh, the support and that comes through philanthropy, through patients and through uh, places like Acure Insight uh, are so important to the work that we work, that we do collaboratively. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. and I have to thank Acure Insight for putting this together. I mean, you know, something I say frequently and often um, is that this is, a, it's a team effort, right? It's, it's not just the, the doctors and the drug companies trying to put these things together, but this is, you know, this is a partnership with, with everyone on this call with a laboratory scientist, with advocacy. 
No, thank you. We, we can't thank you guys enough for being here for sure. Um, I do have just a couple of questions just maybe to try and clarify and it looks like our Q and a is starting to come in. Um, this patient is just saying how, as a doctor, like, how do you, how do you help your patients decide between so many promising trials? Um, obviously the science can be complicated, like you said, for the average person, and that can be overwhelming for the patient to look at some of this data and go, well, you know, my doctor or some other doctors telling me I should do IDE, you know, 96 and, or I don't know, I think I'm messing up that number, but, um, but, you know, when you have conflicting opinions, how do you, how do you kind of suggest that a patient or a patient doctor combo go into that decision-making process? Do you want to go first? Sure. I think it's partly you can look at the patient, the extent of uh, involvement uh, with their with their ocular melanoma, uh, how they are, what we call their performance status, uh, their ability to go to the places where these trials are. And I would also say, you know, uh, that it's not just a one-off. If the first thing doesn't work, the second thing may, our patients with ocular melanoma now are utilizing multiple therapies uh, prospectively. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah, it's a really hard, it's a really, it's a, it's a really great question, right? How do you look at this entire um, scope of, of options and, and prioritize them? That's, that's really the question. And I think, you know, in my mind, what you want to do is if you could figure out, you know, what is most likely to help out of that entire list? You know, if you could figure that out, what's most likely to help? And then can you get access to that? Um, mm -hmm. You know, for the patients, you know, typically um, the ones that are most likely to help are the one where there's the most data. Where have we treated the most number of uveal melanoma patients and seen the best outcomes, right? And those treatments tend to be in more advanced clinical trials, right? So simplistically, um, you know, the phase three trials tend to have more data supporting them. And so you can think if there's a good phase three clinical trial for uveal melanoma, you know, there's, there's probably really good data to support that, um, followed by a phase two, followed by a phase one. It's not always the case, you know, but I think that's, that's um, a, a nice generality. Um, but the feasibility is also really important, right? Because if the best trial is in Greenland, can you go to Greenland, mm. you know? Yeah, such a good point. Um, this other question or other part of the question was if you're presented with multiple options as a first line treatment. Um, I mean, there's there's certain trials we know are first line only. And then we have things like like the Perio one where they they say they will take any line of treatment, first line or all the way to the, you know, the sixth line of treatment. Um, so how do, how do you guys as doctors make decisions with those um, those kinds of situations? Because obviously a first-line treatment can be important if you want to have that opportunity and the data is there, but sometimes I think time is not always on the side of a first-line treatment. Well, yeah, so this think... is where it's really important. Oh, I was going to say, this is where it's really important to see someone like Dr. Hamid or Dr. McKean or Dr. Moser, or someone who actually knows the entire landscape, right? Because most oncologists will not know, um, you know, which treatments are going to exclude for subsequent ones. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's really, it's going to be hard for the patient to, to figure that out him or herself. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, you know, being from LA, I would say that 
Uh, ocular melanoma is a rare tumor. It's a boutique tumor. You have to go to someone who focuses on it because our, co our colleagues know more about breast, lung, colorectal, you know, uh, uh, prostate cancer, because those are the more common ones than we do. But we know about this one little cancer that has a low incidence, but to you is important. Uh, and ultimately, we know that there may be better options than what is an FDA-approved option, whether it's that FDA-approved option plus something else in a clinical trial. And we're the majority of us who consult are looking not only to help you find the trial, but to help you succeed locally. So if that benefit is to go back to your local oncologist and get therapy, uh, we can help make decisions at certain key forks in the road. If the What's the right first thing? Is it available near you or somewhere else? What else can we add if we need to? How can we get through toxicities? Because these, some of these trials and these drugs have novel toxicities that have not made it into the community and what to do if you're looking for the next thing. So I have a lot of patients who come and go, come back and forth. And uh, I would say that it, one of the only the best things, if not the only thing that's come out from this post-pandemic lifestyle is the ability to go see Dr. Carvajal or Dr. McKean or Dr. Moser in this fashion, through the phone, through a Zoom, where it does not take, you know, uh, historically it was, I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to go to New York, and I'm going to have to come back. And that's, that's a lot financially and time-wise. But now it is almost the easiest to get an expert opinion. So one of the things that I tell patients is find your find an expert who will be part of your team along with your family, your spouse, and your local oncologist. I feel like that's so important. Um, this one, Kathy is asking Dr. McKean, who and where are they? Um, Dr. McKean is coming on next, so we will we will make sure you know where she is from, but she's in Tennessee. Uh, so Dr. Omid Hamid, you are in LA, correct? We are in Los Angeles. Yes, Los Angeles. And Dr. Carvajal, uh, you're going to have to remind me York. where you're at now. New York. Okay. New York. So we've got yeah. both ends of the country here, uh, but there are people in the middle, like Dr. Moser and Dr. McKean. Uh, Dr. Moser is in Scottsdale, uh, where I live. And then Dr. McKean is in Tennessee. Um, and if you guys as patients need help finding a doctor in your local area or connecting with someone who you want to connect with virtually, please reach out to us here at Acure Insight at contact at Acure Insight. And if you're having difficulty finding someone, we can make sure that you're linked up with someone who is well-established. And, and right. I, think it's, uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of other colleagues who are, cannot be on this call is it just too many people uh, and they're everywhere. Um, and it's so such a tight community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say this, This, I mean, I think oncology is the field is really close, but this this uveal melanoma community, it's, it's, we all know each other. We all work really well together. No, that's such a good point too. And um, 
I think the other thing to keep in mind too is that because of all this data that's starting to come out, there is more interest in the oncology research and the oncology realm um, for doctors, for cutaneous melanoma doctors even to go, hey, what is this and, and how can I learn more about it? So I think just the fact that you guys have been so steady in what you do and then the fact that the data is showing um, or kind of promoting this this further interest in uveal melanoma from other doctors is is helpful. Um, but like you guys have said, it's still so, so important that patients see someone virtually or in person who is a uveal melanoma medical oncologist. I agree. All right. Well, I am not seeing any other questions come through. So um, if you guys don't have anything else that you wanted to add, uh, I don't know if Dr. Katz, I think he had to step out, but um, yeah, Dr. Katz had to step out, but Dr. Hamid, Dr. Carvajal, do you have anything you'd like to say to end? No, I just, no, but I, sorry, I just <laughs> recognize like, your insight for uh, what you're doing um, and then and, and note that uh, your presence is not only welcome, but it has uh, helped this field. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, and I, I echo that and, and the community. This is really important, so thank you doing this yeah well and and i am i'm just one person on the team guys there are there are more people behind the scenes with the board and with hannah um with the kieran site so we're grateful for all of them who have helped get this get the word out about this webinar um and we're grateful to you guys both for being here um, one one more point to make um that the dissemination of information uh, at this date and time is so quick uh, not to be overlooked for the patients who are on this call, please follow the social media for places like Acura Insight, uh, some of the other melanoma support groups, the Melanoma Research Alliance, Melanoma Research Foundation. These are the people who, uh, you know, disseminate information and also the physicians who are on this. Uh, they have great Twitter presences and, and they are available. Um, you can learn a lot about your own state and what's available to you. Oh, that's such a powerful thing too. Social media, um, connecting with social media and not being afraid to utilize that tool. Um, th so thank you for, for drawing attention to that. That's my other realm <laughs> is the social media. I make sure we've got posts, we've got things. Um, and the other thing I would add is follow the social media for places like Replimune and Trisalis Life Sciences. Um, these different companies that are working on trials or releasing data you may see data faster than faster than your doctor can get a hold of it or you know because you see it on social media first and then if you brought you know bring that to your attention to the attention of your doctor in an, in a, an appointment then you guys can look at the data together um because like you guys have said this is a fast changing field and sometimes there's new updates every couple months all right. Well, thank you guys both for being here. I'm going to go ahead and excuse you both so you can get to your weekend. Um, but thank you guys for being on live and thank you both for your time. Thank you, Take so care. Much. Thank you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast brought to you by Castle Biosciences. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, Leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.